This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. Welcome back to Call to Adventure. I'm Alex Opolis with my partner in peace, John Duckworth. Uh, and today we have with us a guest, Kurt Cavanaugh. We so often hear people lament about the incredible growth in the Charleston population, but today we have the opportunity for a conversation with a perfect example of all the good that comes from the diverse backgrounds and experiences of those who now call our city home. Kurt arrived here by way of Michigan, North Carolina, and most recently New York City. Since 2014, he has served as the executive director of Charleston Moves. Kurt, welcome to the show. Sure, thanks for uh, having me today. I love the diverse backgrounds in sort of living in the Midwest and then <laughs> living in North Carolina and in and, and the city uh, you know, of Manhattan. Um, so I'm curious, one of the questions we always ask our guests is uh, Charleston as a person, male, female, sort of describe uh, who you think they are. Sure. Uh, I've been in Charleston for about a year and a half, so I think I have... It's a first date. It is a first date. (laughs) It's an androgynous first date, I believe. Um, I believe I I recall that I said that uh, Charleston is very nervous about um, what others think of it. But uh, it's an incredibly successful individual. It's uh, the straight-A student. It's the, I got into Columbia, Harvard, Yale, first try kind of person but it's not satisfied with that. But it's also incredibly anxious about its, its standing all the time. And um, it has a past that it hasn't quite reconciled with yet. Um, it's got some deep, dark secrets, but it really wants to um, be perfect, which is impossible. It wants mm-hmm. to make everyone feel good, and it's, that's also impossible. It, makes, it wants every single person to love it, and also that's highly impossible. <laughs> So it's it's a confused it's a confused city that uh, needs to you know just expose and admit its faults and then show its beauty. That's how I see Charleston. Yeah, that's a wonderful description. I, you know, John, curious because we've <laughs> moved here. Uh, this isn't our first date. We might be we might be married to the city. Yeah, ha- right. Having lived here over twenty years, but. Um, that doesn't seem to be the Charleston I've known forever. It is, I, I think it's an accurate description today. Sort of, uh, mm-hmm. sort of very concerned about the what the world thinks, and are we voted again the most friendly city and the the, the best place to live in the world? What? what hey, you uh, part of that comes from being in the spotlight. Yeah. Charleston, mm-hmm. when we moved here, wasn't in this spotlight at all. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, now there's a, there's an international spotlight shining on the city, and everyone's oh wow, what are they going to see? <laughs> Right, and uh, yeah, let's let's you know push a few things under the carpet a little further, and and try and highlight all the the perfection we can. But you're probably right. You know, there's a bit of that that uh, is is just being okay with 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 all all of it, mm-hmm. and and you know the beauty and the 
And the blemishes. Sure. You know, the, the CVB version of Charleston is that peninsula, you mm. know, horse-drawn carriage, uh, Rainbow Row thing. There's a lot more to Charleston than that. Thank goodness. Right. Thank goodness, right. I would never have left New York <laughs> right. City for, for uh, you know, 12 square blocks. Um, and it's an incredible city. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's, it really does um, benefit from its physical and geographical location. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a coastal city. Um, Charleston, outside the peninsula and the historic district, would have a harder time if it weren't so close to the ocean, I think, and so close to what is the heart of the city, which is the peninsula. And if it didn't have that, it'd be, very, it'd be a more forgettable place, and uh, Charleston's not that at all. Absolutely. So backing up a little bit, you end up, you start in Michigan, you're born in Michigan, and then you go to school in Greensboro, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then UNC Greensboro. Yep. Yeah, I uh, yeah I had a weird uh, for some reason I, I went to Guilford College in Greensboro after transferring from High Point University. I was an, I was a, I'm an ex jock who tries to hide that side, <laughs> and um, you know this is 15 16 years ago. Um, I went to High Point University my freshman year and was kind of unchallenged by the academic reality there, and quickly transferred to Guilford College. I didn't want to go back home. Uh, to Michigan, and I went to High Point, never having visited North Carolina. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, so really. that was just a never having visited. Yeah. All right. Mom and Dad bought me a brand new used Ford Contour two weeks before I left. Give me five hundred bucks and said good luck. I don't even remember what that car looks like. It looks like a, uh, it's forgettable, forgettable. mid nineties <laughs> yeah. Ford. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember the drive down. I'd never driven outside the state of Michigan. Um, I'd been outside the state, okay. but I'd never, never driven, driven myself. Huh. And uh, I was like, I'm going to you know, cut it in half and go halfway there. And this is well before you could ask Siri how to get there. <clears throat> so I I did have Yahoo Maps or something, something like that, that I printed out how to of get course. there. You yeah. know, down I-77 once you hit Cleveland. And um, and I got all, all the way to Mount Airy, North Carolina the first night. And I'm like, this, I'm almost there. So I stayed the night in some actually fairly nice hotel, like a penthouse suite for like 200 bucks. So of course, 40% of my money's gone one night, <laughs> 18 year old kid. But uh, no, I was, you know, it was kind of a needle in a haystack finding North Carolina. It's interesting how many really important decisions are made so <laughs> flippantly, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you moved here by sort of just throwing a tag. Literally at the, throwing a dart at a map, yeah. Dart at a map. Would... So part of that is big adventure. You get there and you sort of got to figure it out. Um, would you going back do the same thing? Um, you know, fi- I'm finally student loan free. Right. You know, entering it's my mid thirties. It's a good nice. feeling. Um, but other than the uh, the reality of you know a private liberal arts college versus an in state, I wouldn't take anything back. Yeah. E- even even that was worth it. Um, I met some great people. Um, after I left High Point, I went to went to Guilford. It was a total sea change. I yeah. started reading, you know, I started actually doing uh, some critical thinking um, and it's a, it, it felt, it felt more like home because it's a, if you know anything about Guilford, it's a Quaker school, but no one really is a, is a practicing Quaker, but liberalism and, and, and crazy well left of center liberalism is very, very alive and well there. Okay. And uh, everyone was from Philadelphia. Makes sense because of the, of the Quaker school pipeline. Oh, right. Yeah. So <laughs> I actually ended up there for a year and a half between undergrad and grad school. Reminds me of the uh, one of the quotes that you that you talked about. Well, not the quotes, actually. One of the comments you made about the trait you admire in others. And 
most admiring open-mindedness and openness to change. So, and that was something that was built in even before going to Guilford. But sounds like you were surrounded by it there. I was surrounded by it there, um, and uh, it was it was fostered. It was you know it was pulled out of you. If if you showed any of it, everyone was pretty much center left or well left of center there. Huh. Um, even including the administration for the most part. So, um, you know, it was kind of teased out of you along with critical thinking and a lot of, it was reading and writing intensive and that was, you know, gold for me. I'm not a, I'm not a numbers and, um, and science type, mm. more of a, more of a writer, reader, thinker than that. So speaking of reading, uh, I found the book, Paul Beatty's The Sellout, which you re- recently finished. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, one, just one of the descriptions, the sellout showcases a comic genius at the top of his game. It challenges the sacred tenets of the U.S. Constitution, urban life, the civil rights movement, the father-son relationship, and the holy grail of racial equality, the black Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Tell us about that book. <laughs> if, I, if I can, my goodness, it's... Uh I mean, it's it's almost impossible to, to encapsulate in, in two seconds here. Um, you know, it, it's about it's it's purely it's about race and race relations, and who am I to speak about that? Um, it's about a homeschooled urban farmer who ends up in a Supreme Court case because he unknowingly um, kept his friend as a slave. Wow, it's an interesting premise. Well, he it's interesting because the individual who ends up in the Supreme Court case is African American and he kept his friend, he thought he was just hanging out with someone and he ends up in the Supreme Court in this mm-hmm. in this case. Um I mean, what carries it is is Beatty's um or Beatty or Beatty, his his name, the author, uh his skill with language and his skill with using dialogue. So you know, so so brilliantly, but it's it's just so dang witty. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I, funny. I, I I'm going to have to read this now. I mean, all the reviews I read, they, it, was, it was they were ranking it as uh, somebody even went on. I think from the Los Angeles Times called it the the most important book of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. They went so far as to call it that. Another one described it as uh, Beatty can turn a sacred cow into a hamburger in one sentence. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's worth the read. Thanks for sharing it with sure. us. For sure. It's 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 not easy read. I know you're you're yeah. laughing but you're also cringing the whole yeah. time and, okay. and and hat tip to um our friend Whitney Powers. She turned me on to the she book. Did. Okay. She did. Yep. Cool. Yep. Mm. So, know, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So you're you're at in in North Carolina and at what point um I suppose we can go ahead and jump into your first call to adventure was it was it a at guilford college when you decide to get rid of your car for good no that was grad school that was a grad school at um, UNC but Greensboro. the uh i guess without putting it in writing um i'm realizing that was the you know the candle was kind of lit to do that a little bit later okay. when um in the south and in the midwest you don't get this in the south you get fall break for a week it's awesome right yeah and <laughs> you get a full week off in october and a uh, roommate of mine at the time, and a good buddy, I actually was his best man at his wedding in New York. Uh, he, his brother was in, he, he, I was his roommate in Guilford. His brother was in med school in Boston. And we, I had, I had a car, he didn't, being an urban guy. We road trip to Boston. And um, we didn't touch the car for a week. And we took the train. Oh, okay. And my fake ID worked at bars. And it was, it was that week that I was like, wait a minute, people actually live in cities. And it seems to make a lot of sense. I, I had only seen real cities, you know, cities with subways and cities with people on the street, not suburban wannabe cities um, or small towns where I'm from. Um, 
And that was my first, wait, I kind of want to do that. That was cool. That was really neat to be able to jump on the train. And I thought Boston was a monster city. Yeah. You know, think back on it now, and it's Boston's right. a fantastic, I think, world-class city, but it's it's a rather small, small city in, in comparing it to others that are uh, world-class. But, um, you know, it's Portland size. It's 600,000 people in the urban core, or the actual urban city limits. Um, but that was the first time I was like, this is how I should live. It's a revelation. Yeah. Huh. It was so cosmopolitan and cool to be able to, you know, swipe a card and get on a train and go somewhere. So you sold your car. And, and you haven't looked back? It's been a decade now? Yeah, it's been, uh, let's see, it was, it'll be 11 years this summer. So yeah, just over a decade that I haven't. Did you, was that a decision you made where you thought, oh yeah, I'm never going back? Or was that a decision you made to think, at, at this moment, I'm just going to ride my bike for now? At that It, it was a ladder. It was okay. a ladder um, at the time. And, but now, I'm um, coming, living in Charleston for a year and a half. Uh, when I came down here, I was like, yeah, I'll probably end up leasing a car maybe. And then I met a couple of people who were car-free by choice in Charleston. And I'm like, what am I thinking even considering <laughs> ever getting a car again? And that's where I am now. And so far, so good. So far, yeah. I couldn't imagine needing to deal with that headache and this, right. the, you know, the cost and you, you name it. For, for people who might consider doing something like that, any particular uh, major challenges? Um, people ask me a lot of times if they're moving here, um, how do I bike to work? How do I, um, how do I not have a car be car light? And unfortunately, um, at this moment, unless you're really comfortable on a bike, you, it's easier to live and work on the peninsula. If it, if you're that lucky, that's your best bet for living car free. Right. And we're, you know, my work with the organization Charleston moves, um, you know, we're trying to change that and give people access and options that isn't just the car uh, on the peninsula, of course, but also off the peninsula. Right now, it's, um, you know, the city of Charleston, the peninsula itself was built mostly before the vehicle. So it lends itself to getting around pretty easily without uh, needing to rely on a vehicle. But if someone's moving here today and is not a super hardcore John Duckworth kind of rider, it's... It's a challenge. It's, it's challenging. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, later in the conversation, we're going to get into a call to adventure, which we titled The the Simple Life. Mm. And I'm just curious, looking back on it now, 11 years post that decision, was that the first seed that sort of planted, that sort of sprouted that direction? Uh, I wish I could say yes. It was probably living in a 225 square foot studio apartment in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And- <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a great segue because we're going to cut to a song uh, new to my ear um, by Cat Power from her album Sun, uh, the song titled Manhattan. Enjoy.
96.3 Charleston. We're here again with Kurt Cavanaugh, and uh, you describe Cat Powers as the female version of David Byrne, which is great. <laughs> Share with us a little bit about her and your experience with her in New York. It's uh, I saw Cat Power a couple times in concert, um, and she's a. Uh, she, it was funny. She seemed to be a. She wasn't outspoken, Lower East Side, you know, till she died type person, but she would uh, she would show up at some community rallies once in a while, and and uh, I never you know really spoke with her or anything, but I was always at awe of her talent and her mm. creativity, um, and you know she to me is that kind of quintessential Manhattan based, never gonna leave Manhattan artist, Brooklyn what you know that's how she is right. to me, and <laughs> I just find her to be um, an incredible talent. So um, yeah, well, thanks for sharing with us. Sure. Yeah, so you you end up, of course, falling in love with Manhattan as well, um, and you moved there for a job mm -hmm. right after right after college, right, right after, after your master's, right graduate after graduate school. school. Yep. Okay, yep. Um, and you got your graduate master's in parks and public space management, yep. and then off to off to New York. Had off you to the big spent uh, any a lot of time in New York before that? Was were you new to Manhattan? I probably spent two weeks of my life, okay. on and off, you know, in New York. Uh, yeah, what visiting. was that transition like? Um, 
you know, it was almost, I hate to say it, it was seamless. Really? Um, hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, as soon as, I mean, this was 2000, what year was it? Five? I moved to the city and um, fresh new graduate degree, ready to go. And I remember I, I got my degree in mid de- early December, and I had a, I moved to the city on December 25th, up 95 in a little U-Haul. All right. And uh, yeah, so it was a quick, quick transition. And um, I worked for the Parks Department for a little bit, and um, it was kind of seamless. You know, it was where I wanted to be. And um, I spent so much time staring at the map of the city, wanting to go there, that it was... Uh, it almost you know, it wasn't by any means uh, I didn't know the city, but I knew that you know the city was a grid. <laughs> I right. knew how to get around. The subway system was was kind of a maze, but um, I mean, it I is. Fell, f- I fell in love immediately. You did. Okay, yeah. it's yeah. a fun city to explore for sure. And yeah. I, I lived I lived uptown in kind of the Harlem Upper West Side border. Oh, okay. Um, and at the time, it was uh, it was a, it was an interesting time to be there because that was when Columbia was snagging all kinds of real estate in West Harlem. Um, through eminent domain, and with the city's help and Bloomberg's backing, was he's like absolutely this. You know, next next campus should be quote Manhattanville. Manhattanville is West Harlem, and that was a fascinating time to be in Harlem. And um, Harlem was very was rapidly gentrifying at that point. And um, I spent a few years up there, and then moved to Brooklyn. Okay, when you were up there and the, on on that side, were you taking the, your going for bike rides across the George Washington at all? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, yeah, yeah I, and I, my bike commute was a mile and a quarter down to Columbia's campus. Our 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 office oh, at okay. the time was adjacent to Columbia's campus on 120th and Riverside Drive, and um, yeah, the bike ride up the west side to the GWB was you know it was 20 30 minutes, That's and nice. uh, hit 9W to go to Nyack or further up right Bear Mountain right yeah. yeah. And that was like that. That's the jock ride stuff. That's the lycra okay. lycra okay. rides. You know, that's not the commuter rides at all. Well, they can't see me on air, but I'm wearing lycra right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, for the record. Yeah, thanks. That's good to clarify. <laughs> you, your uh, your work up in in the city included uh, extensive work with the Department of Parks and Recreation, the Department of Transportation, the Department of City Planning, Landmark Preservation. So really intimately involved with you know uh, the Bloomberg administration. Um, and you describe sort of the transition of when De Blasio came into office mm-hmm. and the shift. Um, Tell us about that, because that was sort of the, what led to ultimately, I think, you deciding one of the factors mm-hmm. to uh, to head south. Sure. Um, so in tw- when Bloomberg, he was a three-term mayor. That was unheard of because the term limits were two terms. Right. During the <laughs> I remember that. During the financial crisis, uh, Bloomberg was uh, convinced city council to change term limits to three terms because, well, uh, really, he felt he could steer the city out of the mess. And um, city council, those on their second term probably didn't mind a third term either. Mm. And so they, so that was approved by city council, and immediately changed back after the election Is that to right? two terms. So uh, after Bloomberg, after Bloomberg, yeah. money talks. Yeah. Uh, after Bloomberg's third term, um, Bill De Blasio became the mayor. Um, and De Blasio's uh, his his whole campaign rhetoric was. This, there are two cities. There's, there's New York that everyone knows and everyone thinks is great and safe and rich and you know Wall Street, and there's not. And there's people not making ends meet. And he's absolutely right. So his focus um, was a 180 from Bloomberg's. 
Bloomberg was, um, and I'm no policy expert in terms of uh, someone's um, what they've done in City Hall, but the takeaway was Bloomberg was very happy to see the city become safer and cleaner and also a lot more expensive. And um, some of that was through, uh, you know, cleaning up subways to, you know, continuing Giuliani's broken windows theory type, type policing, um, but also investing tons of money into public spaces, plazas, parks, uh, waterfront rezonings. Um, but those come with a cost. And Bloomberg was very happy to take that on. The costs were uh, skyrocketing rents. The costs were um, giving developers kind of a carte blanche to develop if they gave something back to the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we fought with that in North Brooklyn quite a bit uh, because the whole neighborhood was rezoned from Williamsburg, the Williamsburg Bridge to Greenpoint, the northern terminus of, of Brooklyn. The waterfront was rezoned for from commercial to residential. And um, that included incredibly tall, glassy condos that are very expensive. Mm. With, the, with the give back to the community being, well, we're going to build public waterfront green space. The views are going to be great and all that. I mean, do, do you find lots of similarities between what the, the city of Charleston is going through? Uh, I do. The city of Charleston is, uh, it's funny, the city of Charleston seems to be afraid to ask for what is deserved from developers. Right. In my mm. liberal New York mm. <laughs> mind, anyway, um, when a lot of the uh, discussions were going on in New York about development, it you know the the, the term affordable housing always came up, rightfully so, and uh, some developers were able to build without affordable housing, made everyone mad. Some developers conceded to twenty percent, thirty percent, the units being affordable. Huh. Um, I thought it was uh, a little odd that uh, the Sergeant Jasper development here um, was uh, was 91% market, 9% affordable. I was most shocked that that's actually a big concession, 9% affordable. Mm. So the difference was, right. you know, uh, what the community gets out of something like that. And but back to the point about North Brooklyn's waterfront, all the glassy condos are built or have are being built. And very little of the of the promised park space has been developed, so oh, you right? so you have hmm. really an empty promise from a f- previous administration, now a new administration, being like, well, I didn't make those promises. Okay. And Mayor De Blasio's um, focus is not on public space or on bike lanes. It's on affordable housing. It's on um, well, mostly affordable housing. And, and so this sea change is happening. And how, how is it that, that, I mean, you're obviously recognizing it. And then how does Charleston Moves come across your plate, come in front of you? <laughs> it's funny. I, I worked uh, for a nonprofit, the Open Space Alliance for North Brooklyn. Um, it's a park conservancy okay. organization, like Central Park Conservancy, or just the biggest one in the city. Uh, you raise private funds to um, better maintain, to uh, supplement what the Parks Department is doing in that public space to make it a better public space. We did that all over North Brooklyn, and um, we had, uh, you know, I was when when that sea change happened, when when focus went from parks and public space and bike ped and those kinds of things that I'm interested in at the top at the mayor's office to affordable housing, which is absolutely necessary with New York City Housing Authority as public housing. Um, a lot of the brain trust went to that. As it should have. That, that was the agenda. That was the agenda of the of the new mayor. That's not my background. I don't have. I'm not a policy person in housing, um, and uh, I was really wanted to go get into bike ped, 
uh, as you know, I've I've been a planner before. I've been an urban designer, but I never uh, I never really worked in. A, you know, I had some pedestrian plan, but not any bike stuff. And well, didn't were, didn't you also uh, uh, co-found the 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 big organization yeah. in Greensboro? Have yeah, some advocacy for yeah. for cycling. Yeah, I did so some previously. advocacy, okay. but um, really wanted to get into more nitty gritty planning okay. stuff. But yeah. the Charles Moose thing came up because um, it was snowing one day <laughs> in New York. Uh, I have a dear friend who uh, who I knew who I worked with uh, in our days at the DOT and stuff, and she was she's in New Orleans, and um, she left uh, she left New Orleans with her husband a few years back, kicking and screaming, New York through and through. Okay. Really? But her husband's an academic, and he was adjuncting around New York, and he got a tenure track offer in New Orleans, and he's like, "Sweetheart, we're going to this." She's like, "What?" <laughs> so they left New York. She was kind of kicking and screaming. And now she's kind of in love with New Orleans. And she, at the time, was had landed the job as executive director of Bike Easy, their bike and pedestrian advocacy group. And she just forwarded me the link. Oh, interesting. And okay. uh, so, Naomi, oh. thank you. Uh, <laughs> she forwarded me the link, and I just gotten back from a site visit with my boss uh, on a water at a future waterfront public park in, in North Brooklyn. And it was February. It was this time of year. It was probably 10 degrees and blowing sideways and snowing and stuff. And uh, I get back to my inbox with numb hands and see this email. And I re- my first reaction was, I'm freezing, but that's not even in, that job's not even in Queens. That's not even, that's nowhere in the five boroughs. That's in Charleston where? It's the sixth borough. That's, that's <laughs> south of North Carolina. I don't yeah, know if I've ever been yeah. there. <laughs> and, uh, and then she's like, just throw your hat in the ring, see what, see what you think. And I'm like, I don't know. And then I look outside, I'm like, eh, it was cold. And then I Google... It was like 66 here. Okay. And I was like, you know, yeah. I'm going to, uh, why not? I'll take a look at it. Share with our audience and, uh, uh, Charleston Moves and, and what the organization is about. Sure. Um, I'll give you the boring uh, mission first. Charleston Moves uh, advocates and provide leadership to transform Charleston County into a great place to walk or ride a bike. Uh, the, the more exciting version of that is um, walking and riding a bike should be incredible here. And it's not, mm. and we work to uh, basically make your walk or bike ride a better, you know, a better experience. Um, and our uh, our biggest push right now is there's no safe way to cross the Ashley River on your feet or, or riding a bike. So we're tr- we're we're really battling now to get this a very much approved <laughs> bike lane, bike and pedestrian lane across the Ashley on the Legree Bridge. And right. that that the 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 project is actually kicking off next month. That's right. We're incredibly excited. Uh, the, the project is supposed to break ground by the end of this month, February. This month, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, and that's huge because this um, this project has been talked about for a long time, but we're right up at the cusp of, of, of seeing this. And what, it, what it's going to finally do once it's installed is uh, provide that critical link between uh, the West Ashley Greenway and downtown. Right now, the Greenway terminates, and you're kind of left in, in no person's land trying to cross the Ashley if you're trying to walk, run, ride a bike downtown, or vice versa, go from downtown to the West Ashley Greenway. Um, so we see this as you know a boon to West Ashley. We see this as a boon to the city, uh, the whole region. Um, and this was approved be two years ago by city council, be two years ago on February 24th. So we're very excited to see this finally uh, taking off. So. In a nutshell, Charleston Moves is um, trying to make it safe to walk and bike pretty much anywhere in Charleston County uh, with a focus uh, on the peninsula and close in right now. I loved one of the quotes you uh, you called one of your favorites by Enrique Penalosa. 
the mayor of Bogota who said, a city can be friendly to people or it can be friendly to cars, but it cannot be to both. Uh, and John, you and I were sharing some other comments he made in some of the research you did, which I thought were fascinating. Well, the same guy, the mayor of Bogota there, has a, has a TED Talk about mobility and transportation. It's worth watching. And uh, I watched it earlier today, and one of the things he said was, uh, he says, I don't think bikeways are a cute architectural feature. He says, they're right, just as sidewalks are, unless we believe that only those with access to motor vehicles have a right to safe mobility without the risk of getting killed. Um, he goes on to say that it's a powerful symbol of democracy, that a citizen on a $30 bike is equally important as one on a $30,000 car. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting. Our guest on our last show is Vince Graham, mm -hmm. who was recently named by Governor Haley to the, as the chairman of the State Infrastructure Bank. And I, when we had a conversation with him, I really think he thinks about mobility in those terms, in much more democratic mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. It's been dominated by the automobile, but... Uh, uh, thank goodness for people like yourself and for him that are fighting for other uses uh, of the roadways. What I find fascinating about Penny Loso over a lot of others who have done some great things is Enrique did that in Bogota. Right. You know, and he knew that he couldn't, for instance, he couldn't afford to build a subway. And there was, you know, traffic was choked every morning and cars were parked on the sidewalk and you name it. So he made the best bus rapid transit in the world. Yeah. For comparably pennies to what and 70 kilometers of, of, of dedicated bike pathways mm -hmm. way before Paris and, and New sure. York even thought about doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. You can do a lot with little if you, you have political will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, before we get into our next call to adventure, and we're going to break for another song. And we have uh, this one's called Almost Home, Moby, Damien Gerardo, and uh, let's hear it.
Welcome back, Call to Adventure. John Duckworth here with Alexopoulos. We have Kurt Cavanaugh in the studio, executive director at Charleston Moves. And so, yeah, so you're you're in New York, and uh, what you called an excruciating decision to leave this place you love and and move to Charleston. And you find yourself here in Charleston and um, working for Charleston Moves. You mm-hmm. seem to be enjoying it. You seem to be happy. Oh, going to work every day is uh, it's. It's really fun to get up in the morning and go to work. Uh, I hadn't had that in a couple of years uh, before I moved here, um, and that helped me, you know, accept the accept the move. Um, it was excruciating. I mean, I love yeah. New York. I still, still love it. Yeah. You know, it's still, sorry, Charleston. It's still in my heart home, um, and uh, I go back frequently. I don't know if that helps or hurts my homesickness, but mm-hmm. um, now going to work here is fantastic. And, and what Charleston is just destroys new york on is the live work balance <laughs> there's know. something to be said there's For there's sure. some real value in that and i i tend to agree you know yeah. and and you know speaking of you know those sort of comparative things when you talk about new york and charleston um i'm imagining when we talk about your third call to adventure which which you phrased as something to do with uh, living simply and and uh in a i think you said 450 square foot apartment here mm-hmm. or, or home here yep um was that inspired by new york living Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, I realized uh, living in a in a in a spot that was half that size in okay. Brooklyn um, that I kind of enjoyed that because you couldn't yeah. you couldn't fill your home full of stuff, um, or if you did, you'd be suffocated by it. Um, I think I don't know if when it really hit me. Probably when I turned about thirty, I realized I didn't want to own a lot of things. I didn't want to uh, you know kind of live a mindless consumer life. So um, I got rid of a lot of my stuff then. And uh, I continue to not add too many things unless it adds what I think is as value to my life. Um, but no, it's funny when I moved uh, moved to Charleston, and now I have 450, 500 square feet, maybe 500 if you include the outdoor space. Um, and you doubled your space. Yeah, I felt as palatial, you know. <laughs> and um, but uh, yeah, no. The, to go back to it, it was excruciating to leave the city. I go back a lot. Um, Charleston, uh, it, it's fun. I met some great people. Um, lifelong friends for sure, um, and it's a nice it's a nice nice place to call home. Um, a nice place to put your head down at night, um, and it's admittedly less hectic than than back in New York. Uh, but I had a pretty what, what I joke is like my indie rom com version of a New York life because I didn't have that L train commute from hell. I had a mile and a half bike ride down right. a protected bike lane with Manhattan View. You know my commute was ridiculously easy, and it's similarly easy here. But I've built my life like that. Or tried to, and um, when I when I do hear uh, about congestion concerns and I hear about um, people's super commutes, you know, it's yeah, I, f- I feel for that. I really do because I know what what a quality life uh, uh, concession that can be, um, and I'm glad I've never had to had to do that. Even when I when I lived in the city, I, I was so grateful I never had to go to Lower Manhattan or Midtown for the office to the office. Yeah, right. I was in the East Village. I was uh, in Williamsburg, and uh, and near Columbia. So, you know, I wasn't paying fourteen bucks for a salad in right. Midtown. I was bringing my lunch to work and kind of living a pretty uh, a pretty similar life that I live now. 
I've always been fascinated, uh, and Eddie Eddie Vedder said it in his great song "Society." Um, how do you keep score when less is more? Uh-huh. And in a culture of ours that sort of for so, somehow keeps track of everything that we do, mm-hmm. um, the other direction is sort of uh, everything that we don't do. Mm-hmm. Like, and it makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, accounting software counts everything that you uh, purchase. It doesn't track all the things that you don't purchase, mm-hmm. which you could argue is really powerful information. Sure, sure. So, ha, you're a jock. You're you're competitive. Maybe a, a long time ago <laughs> that was you. But how do you sort of keep score when uh, when your uh, scorecard is is of a simple life? I mean, well, um, you know, internationally we do GDP. You know, that 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 matters so much economically. Where we may be that we may have the highest GDP in the world, or one of the highest GDPs in the world, but we're pretty pedestrian in terms of gross national happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And um, countries that uh, that destroy us—they're not all, you know, Western rich nations. There's some, I think there's something there that we haven't quite uncovered because we've we've tried to buy our way into happiness, I think, and live a lifestyle that keeps up with the next door neighbor or. Or uh, this one thing will make me happier. This next thing will make me happier. Um, I'm not. I just haven't bought that, and I'm trying to mm-hmm. not buy it at all. You know. And part of the whole like choosing to not own a vehicle is part of that. Um, it's 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 a it's a basically a desperate attempt to live mindfully and to live. You know. Um, what are other parts of that? Um, let's see. I well, that's an awesome question. I wasn't ready for. Um, <laughs> You know, I have very few clothes. <laughs> um, I do. I, I admit that I'm not a, a a vinyl record type. Even though I'm on a on a great radio station that probably has a bunch of vinyl people that are part of it, but I love the New Yorker quote or the New Yorker cartoon that I saw regarding vinyl, and I feel like that's uh, can be uh, applicable to a lot of things in life. And the New Yorker cartoon, two guys staring at a pretty impressive collection of vinyl on someone's shelf, and the one hipster says to the other. I was uh, I, I was I was attracted to this for the expense and inconvenience, <laughs> and I feel that's 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 like you know it's almost like the the, the bike jocks who I who I adore and once and like once every few months I think I'm one of them then I realize when I ride with them I'm not is uh, the number of bikes that bike jocks have is n plus one, right? <laughs> so I guess it's just have a few things. I don't know how to keep score of it. Um, yeah. I what what fascinates me is. I think I'm a fairly serious person, and I'm and I'm definitely uh, more introverted than I like to admit, um, and have just as much anxiety as the next person probably. Is you know these all these things that uh, that we that we do that don't cause happiness. I couldn't imagine how unhappy I'd be if I mm. had cable TV and watched Fox mm-hmm. News and watched this and, and consumed that. I would I'd be a mess. Had know? a 2,500 square foot house. Yeah. To fill it. How do you and, fill it? You know. Well, I mean, I suppose you know. Rather than keeping score, one of the easy ways to do it is just to have a house that doesn't allow much more in. Mm, yeah. um, I found one of the things that I was thinking about when you said that was, you know, even talking to you know, Kevin and Kathy when they moved to to, to Ireland, and I've talked to friends who mm. have been, renovated their house, put everything in storage, and and then they'll they'll come back three six months later and think I forgot what's in there yeah. and I don't even want to look. Uh huh. 
And there's this bit of a liberating feeling that happens when you can let go of things like that, especially that many things, and you get that distance away from it. And I see this happen quite often where people will, they, they, they don't have any attachment to it anymore. Right. Right. And, and, and that, to me, is another one of those moments, like those aha moments where you mm. know, I moved out of my house into, into the studio. And I thought it might be difficult because <clears throat> I had to get rid of a lot of stuff. It just, space-wise, it wasn't fitting. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, so I started giving things away. And by the end of that, I just couldn't stop. Yeah. I, I was like, it's all going, man. It's sure. all going. And you I know, loved it. You know, one thing I think of when I, I, I love cities. You know, I'm a, I'm a shameless urbanist now. And even though I grew up in the exact opposite of that, <laughs> um, I've somehow adopted this urbanism thing. Um, and 450 square feet to me is, is pretty sizable for one person. Um, but, you know, you, you can stack a lot of people into a tight space if they have 450 square feet. And I think the magic of our world-class cities is part of it is their density, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you don't have the single, you don't have the one acre plots. You have thousands of people on that one acre plot. Um, you think of Paris, New York, London, Rio, you name it. People are jammed together and they're incredibly safe places and they're lovely places and people clamor to be there. And um, I want to live in a city. I want to basically live in that. The city is where I am, not in my 450 square feet all the time. Mm. I don't want to live in my 2,500 square feet. I want to live, that's my living room, is, is the city itself. And I want to be inspired in the, in the city that I live. It's a much bigger space. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't turn down a free loft in Brooklyn probably, but, you know, it's I, I'm very comfortable in those spaces. And I, and I, and I select those because... Yeah, it may cost me a little bit more to have that 450-square-foot apartment on the peninsula as opposed to somewhere in James Island, but I don't need a car, and that's part of all my decision-making. You know, one of the things we always talk about is, you know, uh, material possessions is one thing, um, but just the amount of consumption of content is another. How do you you limit that? Uh, First, the easiest one is no home internet, Mm. Um, and it forces me not to work from home. Um, or if I'm doing work, it's simple, like a couple email replies and then put the phone away. Um, that's part of it. Uh, I do like analog devices still. You know, I like getting the paper. I like to uh, <laughs> read hard copies of things. And uh, one thing I love about Charleston, I don't want to not mention this, is the library system here is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can get almost, I mean, you read the New York Times bestseller list or if not that, like, you know, the end of year best of list. And you can go get every, all 10 of those books and without waiting too long. There's, I mean, the, the wait lists are, are very, very minimal here. And it's awesome. Love the library. That's one, you know, no in home internet. That's a big one. That is a big one. That, I mean, it, it, you make it sound like it's, it's uh, even less big than I would put it. I mean, most people would cringe at that. It's, I mean, and that yeah. makes me makes me think of Vince Graham when he's talking about you know last week about uh, being a radical, mm. and um, it's it it sounds like a radical idea to to a lot of people sure. living in a really small place without a car and no internet. Sure, sure. Well, and and it's a it is yeah. a bit of a liberating concept though. At the same time, I mean, I, I would imagine you're because of that, your mind is less cluttered as well. I, yeah, and I make a I do make a uh, actual attempt to not have too much clutter upstairs. And I I like um, <laughs> I, there, there's a blogger I read. I won't I won't name his name because there's a swear word in his in his title. But mm. um, he has the uh, he has a great blog post called the Low Information Diet. Hmm. And I, I fail at that one. I mean, I, I read the New York Times and Streets blog every single day, and uh, those are my clutters, you know. And okay. um, 
And I, I admit, I do want to say that I, I admit that my lifestyle, A, is not for everyone, of course, but is also, it's it'd be really tough with a partner or children in the mix. It'd be much tougher. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it can be, I think well, things, can be, things can be done. We have a family night where all my sisters and my wife and my mom and we all get together and we had a visceral debate about this issue. I have two mm. kids and uh, my point was my oldest son wouldn't get a phone until he was 15. And I mean, I was, I was a radical for the oh, idea. Really? Yeah. And, and it was interesting because that was just, you're crazy. Hmm. And yet the consensus around the table was can't handle all the information I get. And so it was yeah. really interesting to me, the dichotomy of can't handle all the in- information we get. And yet why is that such a radical idea? Huh. Um, One of my, my sister is in Michigan. She and her husband are just great people. They have five girls from ages 17 to three. And I wonder if, if and how old you are when you get a cell phone in that family. I don't know the, the answer to that. I'll we, let you know. Well, yeah, I, right. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the conversation on A Simple Life. Uh, yeah, I know too. John does too, and, and we could go for, uh, for another hour uh, very easily. But um, we're out of time, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. For being here. And, uh, yeah, and we're looking forward to uh, being able to all ride our bikes across the Ashley River. And thanks for doing the good work you're doing for Charleston Moves. We all appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And um, you know, check out our new revamp website very soon, and uh, you'll see more of our more of our initiatives on that very soon. So Perfect. CharlestonMoves.org. All right, we're going to close it out with David Byrne, Talking Heads. And uh, for those of you who were in Charleston maybe eight or nine years ago, you'll remember his show at the Music Hall. One of my favorites, uh, Once in a Lifetime, off his Remain in Light album. Classic song from another hardcore cyclist. Cheers. Enjoy. At the bottom of the ocean.
beautiful house You may ask yourself Where does that highway go to? And you may ask yourself Am I right? Am I wrong? And you may say to yourself My God, what have I done? David Byrne and the Talking Heads. Uh, what a great tune. Yeah. What a great show they did at the Music Hall. And uh, our guest today, Kurt Cavanaugh, um, really special guy. Yeah, absolutely. That was really nice to take a, take a conversation with him and, and learn a bit more about, you know, that the tail end of our conversation there about living simply was the part that really I'm really fascinated by. And, and, and he does it kind of so almost casually taking some really big steps and in directions that a lot of people aren't very comfortable with. Yeah, you know, you think of like a radical or somebody who's doing all those things and you sort of put a visual to it, right? Right. Um, and then you look at Kurt and you say, well, I mean, he, he looks he doesn't like seem everyone, to be right? flying I mean, a radical flag no. at all. But, I mean, those things that we talked about with, you know, no internet at home, no cable TV, no automobile... Um, these are very little possessions. Very little possessions. Four hundred very small square foot at home living space, and 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 yet uh, uh, you know he's very thoughtfully considering connection and mobility and information and access and you know the freedom that he gains from having a less cluttered life. Yeah, it was interesting. Like uh, you know when he said, uh, "Yeah, I'm the weird uncle." When he was thinking about home, you know, and growing up in a 50-acre place on a lake with his folks who have been married for 38 years and four cars. They've never been to New York City, um, never flown on a plane, you know. And when you think about him in the context of that family, he, he probably really is the weird Uncle, he's, he's really pushed the edges and stretched right, out quite right. a bit, you know. And I, you know, I think to the point of the, the the title of our show, the call to adventure. I mean, it seems clear to me that he he he's made a conscious decision to 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 really investigate beyond where he started. And each time he pries a little deeper, he's gaining more information that 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 he's even more curious than beyond there. You know, from a very small town, you know, like you said, on fifty acres to. To, to Manhattan and a, and a devout uh, uh, urbanite now. Right. You know? Right. It's always wonderful to see where people's journeys take them, you know, and it'll be interesting to see where his goes next. Fortunate while he's here that we have him working as executive director for such an incredible organization, Charleston Moves. You know, they're doing really wonderful work. You're involved. Um, I am. I am and really thankful to be involved. I mean, he's, he's a big reason why I uh, feel so good about the organization. There's some really good things happening right now. I mean, the, with, with the crossing of the Ashley River on the Legree Bridge, you know, that's, that's happening this year. And it's going to be pretty exciting to see that go down in that section for connection in Charleston. And it's pretty amazing. And, and there's also the downtown bike plan as far as creating access throughout the peninsula for people on bikes uh, to get around. And, you know, these things fall into place, and suddenly, without uh, a whole lot of time passing, you'll be able to ride from Isle of Palms all the way to John's Island with, uh, on a, in a safe, connected bike path. For, the, for those who want to learn more about the organization, how can they access? CharlestonMoves.org. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, thank you uh, to our listeners for uh, spending another hour of their time with us. Uh, thanks to Ohm Radio for making it all happen. Corbin for uh, putting it all together, making us sound uh, legit. And uh, John? Always a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.